after you put your Bible or your psalm book away, get out your Bible. Let me understand what part of worship we're in right now. Get your Bible out. Turn over to the first book of the Bible, please, and go to Genesis this morning. Will you go to Genesis chapter 4? Genesis chapter 4. What a wonderful day of worship we've had. What wonderful singing we've had this morning together. I want to begin our second sermon this morning by reading to you several passages found in the Bible. And I want to ask you just to follow along with me as we read these verses together. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 3. In Genesis 4 and verse 3, the Bible says, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part also brought of the first slings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and his desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. He murdered his brother. Go to 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter now. 1 Samuel 18. This is after David. After David kills Goliath, and he starts to rise in popularity and influence in Israel. In 1 Samuel 18, in verse number 7, verse 7 says, The women sang as they played and said, Saul, King Saul, has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became, well, he became very angry, for this saying displeased him. And he said that he ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Go to your New Testament now, please, to the book of Acts, to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, after Stephen, a Christian, a disciple, preached a powerful lesson to the Sanhedrin council about Israel's history of constantly rejecting God's messengers and how that current generation of Jews have followed in that pattern at the highest level or, or the worst level, the worst possible way. The Bible says in verse number 54 of Acts 7, now when they heard this, when they heard this sermon from Stephen, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. Having said this, he fell asleep. Brothers and sisters, do you see, do you see the connection? The connection in all these cases we just read. Do you see the common 
thread that kind of weaves its way through them? Do you see what the source is? And all of these cases of conflict, it is, it is anger. Anger. Cain murdered his brother Abel because he was angry. Saul was jealous and paranoid and suspicious of David because he was angry. Stephen was stoned to death by the Sanhedrin council because he preached about some things that they did not like and did not want to hear. And they got angry at the core of all of these ugly scenes that we read about in our Bibles is anger. And let's just be honest about it this morning at the core of a lot of ugly scenes today. Well, it's the same thing. It's also anger. I mean, haven't you noticed that? Haven't you noticed what anger is leading a lot of people to do today? Haven't you noticed that we live in a very ugly and angry society? I mean, think about it. Think about all those viral videos that you can look at on YouTube today where people are getting into fusses and fights and they are assaulting flight attendants because they don't want to have to wear a mask. They don't want to have to wear a mask for a two or three hour flight. They don't want to have to do something that they already knew they were going to have to do before they even got on the plane. Go home and YouTube some of that stuff and you'll be absolutely Disgusted. And I think about all the riots that have been taking place in various cities across the country over the past couple of years. And think about the numerous fights that have been taking place between athletes and people in the stands at sporting events over the past couple of years. And think about how since this whole pandemic began, cases of domestic violence and divorce have skyrocketed. They have absolutely surged. Why is that the case? Well, that's the case partly because of this right here. It's because of anger. It's because of uncontrolled anger. And let's not forget to mention all the ugly stuff that's been going on in churches over the past couple of years. Let's not forget to mention how because of anger, many brethren across the country have become guilty of treating each other in some of the cruelest and ugliest and just ungodly ways. They've allowed the devil to infiltrate them and divide them and cause them to fuss and fight and quarrel over things like masks and vaccines. And they've been arguing with each other publicly on social media over election results and trial results and a whole host of other kind of stuff that Christians should not be fighting about. All of this stuff, all of this stuff can be attributed to anger. And the question is, what about you? What about you in your life? Are you angry? Are you angry as you sit there in that pew this morning? If so, what are you so angry about? How are you behaving when you get angry? Is anger negatively affecting your relationships right now? Is anger negatively affecting your relationship with your spouse? 
Is it affecting your relationship with your friends and your siblings and your parents and your children? Is it negatively affecting your relationship with your brethren? Is anger causing you to lash out at certain brethren? And avoid certain brethren when you come here to this building and treat certain brethren in a way that is not Christ-like. Do you need some help with your anger this morning? Do you need some help rising above anger in your life? Well, if so, in this lesson, I want to offer some things that I hope will help you. I want to offer some practical things that I hope will help you. I want to show you clearly what the Bible says we have to do if we're going to rise above anger and its terrible pitfalls in our lives. And let's just begin by first doing this right here. Let's just begin this morning by first pointing out some important facts that the Bible gives us about anger. Can we do that? Let's talk a little bit about some important facts that the Bible reveals to us about anger. Let's begin by first pointing out how when it comes to anger, anger is an emotion that God actually demonstrates all throughout the Bible. That's right. God is angry in the Bible. Just do a casual reading of your Bible. Read from Genesis through Revelation, and you know what you're going to find? You're going to find God getting angry a lot. You're going to find Jesus getting angry a lot. You're going to even find Jesus rebuking people and taking radical action in his anger. In fact, Jesus doing that in John chapter 2 is probably the most well-known case of anger in all the Bible. You remember when Jesus went into the temple in John chapter 2, he went into the temple and he noticed some ungodly stuff going on. He went into the temple in Jerusalem and he saw merchants and money changers turning his father's house into a place of business. They had corrupted the purposes of his father's house. And when he saw that, he didn't just say, well, that's not a big deal. He didn't turn a blind eye to that stuff. No, the Bible says that he went and he made a scourge of cords. And he went and he used that to drive all those animals out of the temple. And he went to the tables of the money changers and he overturned their tables. And he told them, you stop doing that. You stop turning my father's house into a place of business. Jesus did that stuff. And you know why he did it? Well, he did it because he was angry. He did it because he was full of righteous indignation as the perfect and sinless son of God. His actions show us that it's not always wrong to be angry. It's not always against God's will to be angry. In fact, there's people who are supposed to be following the footsteps of Jesus. There are times when we should be angry. There are times when we should have righteous indignation whenever people defy God whenever people mock God and blaspheme God and openly rebel against God and his will well that should make us angry that should make us mad that should make us feel the same way it made Jesus feel when he went into the temple and he saw his father's house being used for wicked purposes Whatever makes God angry should also make us angry. It should also make us angry as God's children. The reality 
that nearly one million unborn children are murdered in this country every single year, that should anger us. That should make us furious. The reality of legalized homosexual marriage, that should anger us. The fact that about 50% of all marriages end in divorce, and the fact that the number of couples living together without the benefits of marriage, that cohabitating is at an all-time high in this country, all that stuff should anger us. Whenever we get on social media and we notice somebody using the Lord's name in vain, we look at language like OMG, or whenever we hear somebody like Richard Dawkins or Bill Maher blaspheme the name of Jesus, or whenever we stop and notice all these different kind of churches and all these different kind of religions in the world today, all that stuff should make us angry. All that stuff should fill us with righteous indignation. It certainly makes God full of righteous indignation. It certainly makes Jesus full of righteous indignation. Jesus had righteous indignation when he went into the temple and saw sinful things being done. His example teaches us that it's not always wrong to be angry. It's not always a sin to be angry. One can be angry and not be in sin, but even though one can be angry and not be in sin, we need to understand that if we're not careful, well, anger can lead to sin. Oh, yes, anger can lead to sin. And this is something that God tried to warn Cain about. Remember back in Genesis chapter 4, when Cain, or after Cain, got angry because God was more pleased with Abel's sacrifice than his. In Genesis chapter 4, and in verse number 6, God said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. God here is trying to warn Cain. He's trying to get him to understand that in your anger, sin is right outside the door. You need to be careful, Cain. Because if you're not careful, you'll commit sin while angry. God's trying to warn Cain there, and Paul tries to warn us in Ephesians chapter 4. Go back to where our scripture reading was this morning, please. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse number 26. In Ephesians 4 and verse 26, Paul says, be angry and yet do not sin. Now, why would Paul say be angry but put that after it? Well, because Paul knows that if we're not careful, anger will lead us to sin. Anger will lead us to sin. That's what Paul wants us to understand. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. We'll come back there. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Notice how Paul says that if we're not careful, anger will give the devil an opportunity. If we're not careful in our anger, we will give the devil a foothold to work in our lives. That's what Paul says there. And Jesus said that before Paul. Look at Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to Matthew 5 to the Sermon on the Mount. And look at what Jesus says in verse 21. In Matthew 5 and verse 21, Jesus says, You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. 
And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is. Who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Notice the very strong language and the very strong examples the Lord uses here to emphasize what anger can do to a person. Notice how like the Apostle Paul, Jesus is telling us that if anger is not properly controlled and properly managed, it can lead to sin. It can lead us to hurting people in some very terrible and awful ways. It can lead us to calling people names. It can lead us to slandering people's names. It can lead us to gossiping about other people and insulting other people because we want to get back at them for hurting us and bringing pain upon us in our lives. It can lead us to cursing other people. It can lead us to getting on social media and blasting other people in front of thousands and thousands of people. It can even lead us to hurting people physically. Again, is that exactly what it did in the case of Cain and Abel? Did I anger lead Cain to murdering his brother? Did not Saul try to kill David on numerous occasions because he was angry with the fact that the people of Israel were praising David and exalting his name? Uncontrolled anger was at the core of all those ugly scenes in the Bible. And my dear friends, I submit to you that uncontrolled anger is also at the core of a lot of ugly scenes in the world today. Uncontrolled anger is why people are willing to get in fist fights about masks and vaccines on airplanes. Uncontrolled anger is why there's so much domestic abuse in our society. It is why people, some people, are currently sitting in a prison cell. Some people right now, as I speak to you, don't have their freedom. They are sitting in a prison cell right now because in a moment of uncontrolled anger, they broke the law. They murdered somebody. They hurt someone. They took a family member for some, from someone. They got to spend the rest of their lives in prison as a result. Uncontrolled anger is why you see some fights, some athletes fighting. In NFL games, in baseball games, in football games, it is why some people are even willing to pull out a gun and shoot somebody if the line in a drive-thru is not moving fast enough. Have you heard that story? Did you hear about that story back in September? Back in September of this year, in the drive-thru of a Chipotle in Pennsylvania. Michelle likes eating Chipotle. Well, here's a story about Chipotle. And at Chipotle in Pennsylvania, because the line in a drive-thru wasn't moving fast enough, a woman pulled out her gun. And she pointed it at the workers to hurry things up. She didn't want to wait for her tacos any longer. She didn't want to wait for her burritos any longer. She actually pulled out a gun and pointed it at the people working through the, at the drive-thru to hurry things up. That's what uncontrolled anger would do to a person. 
Uncontrolled anger will cause people to do some ugly, ugly stuff. And that ultimately tells us that according to the Bible, uncontrolled anger is a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to God. It's a big deal to Jesus. It is such a big deal to Jesus that it will cost us our souls if we don't get it under control. And that's what Paul is trying to get us to understand in Ephesians 4 and verse 27 when he says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil a what? An opportunity. Paul says, If you're not careful, the devil will use your anger to destroy you, to destroy you spiritually, to go to work in your life. I want to show you this in the wisdom literature. Have you noticed this in the wisdom literature as you've been reading it? Look at Psalm 37, please. And Psalm 37, look at what the Bible says in verse number 8. Psalm 37, look at verse number 8 with me, please. It says in Psalm 37 and verse 8, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to what? Evil doing. So you got to get anger out of your life because the Bible says that if you don't get rid of it, it will lead to evil doing. It will lead you doing some very wicked things. Now go to Proverbs. Man, does Solomon hit this in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 14, please. We're going over to Proverbs, the 14th chapter. Look at verse number 17. In Proverbs 14 and verse 17, the Bible says a quick-tempered man, a man who has a short temper, look at what the Bible says about that man. He acts what? Foolishly. He's a foolish man. And a man of evil devices is hated. Drop down to verse number 29. Verse 29 says, he who is slow to anger, again, a quick-tempered man, a slow-tempered man, I'm sorry, has great understanding, but he who is a quick-tempered man, he exalts what? Folly. Again, it's a foolish man. Look at chapter 15, verse 18. Chapter 15, verse 18. A hot-tempered man, again, a man who has a short temper, stirs up strife. He's always in fights, always in conflicts, always in the middle of situations, but the slow to anger calms. That man calms a dispute. Go now to back to Matthew again, and listen to what Jesus said back in Matthew 5, 22. We talk about the seriousness of this. In Matthew 5 and verse 22, Jesus said, But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into a place we don't want to go. The fiery, the fiery hell. Notice how Jesus says that anger is such a big deal. It is such serious business in the eyes of God that it can cost us our souls. It can cost us our eternal souls when we allow it to fester in us, when we allow it to boil in us and lead us to doing all kind of ungodly things. Well, Jesus says we'll be sentenced to hell. We'll be sentenced to, to the fiery hell. That's what Jesus says. That's what the Lord says in that verse. And if that language is not strong enough and powerful enough and plain enough to show us that this issue we're talking about this morning is a big deal, that I don't know what in the world is. 
I don't know what in the world the Lord, what else he has to do to emphasize this point. I mean, anything Jesus says will cost us our souls is of the utmost importance. It is something that demands our attention and our motivation to do all we can to conquer it in our lives. In fact, let me close this lesson by giving you three things. Three things the Bible says we got to do if we're going to overcome and rise above anger. Let me give you three practical things that the scripture says I have to do and that you have to do if, we, if we're going to make sure that we don't fall into the trap of uncontrolled anger and give the devil an opportunity in our lives. First, if we got anger in our lives right now, particularly if we're angry with somebody in our lives right now, you know what we need to do? We need to deal with it. We need to deal with it Today, we need to deal with it quickly today. We don't need to let it fester and boil in over us. We don't need to linger over it. We don't need to nurse it. We don't need to let it soak deep into our hearts. If we do that kind of stuff, what Paul talks about in Ephesians 4 and verse 27, that is going to happen. We're going to give the devil an opportunity. We're going to give the devil a foothold in our lives. In fact, speaking of Ephesians 4, go back there. Look at verse 26. I told you we were coming back there. Ephesians 4, look at verse 26. Paul says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun, notice that language, do not let the sun go down on your anger. What does Paul mean with that language? What does Paul mean when he says that? What does Paul mean when he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger? Well, with that language, what Paul means is he means this right here. He means that if we're angry about something, or more precisely, if we're angry at someone, we need to deal with the matter quickly. We don't need to sleep on it. We don't need to sleep on our anger. We don't need to let the sun go down on our anger. We need to deal with it quickly. If me and my spouse are having a serious disagreement about something, if we have an argument, if my spouse says something to me that just makes me mad and furious and it bothers me and boils my blood before we go to bed tonight, before we turn it in for the night, before we proceed to another day and this sacred relationship, we need to sit down and have a talk. We need to have a conversation. We need to sit down and be open and lay everything out on the table. We need to make it right today. Paul says doing that is healthy. Doing that is godly. Doing that will help me avoid allowing anger to live in my heart and give the devil an opportunity. I need to deal with it quickly when it comes to anger towards my spouse. And I also need to deal with it quickly when it comes to anger towards my brothers and sisters. Someone says, where does the Bible say that? Well, Jesus said that. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to finish that up with verse 23. Matthew 5 and verse 23, after Jesus said, don't be angry with your brother. Be careful. It'll get you put in hell. 
In verse number 23 of Matthew 5, watch this now, and I have this highlighted in my Bible. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, if you're going to worship God in our translation, and there remember that your brother has something against you, you leave your offering there. Don't you go worship before the altar and go first, first, first be reconciled to your brother and then come. Then you go and worship. Then you go and present your offering. What is Jesus commanding us to do here? Well, here Jesus is commanding us, and listen carefully, Jesus is commanding us when we got a problem with somebody in the church to initiate reconciliation. Initiate reconciliation. Understand that it's not enough if I got a problem with somebody in the church, it's not enough for me to go home today and say, well, you know what? I did a pretty good job. I know I'm angry with my brother. I know I'm angry with my sister. I know I got a problem with these people, but you know what? I didn't murder them today. Jesus says, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. Merely avoiding physically harming somebody is not good enough to Jesus, if we have a problem with somebody, Jesus said, if we're really going to be his people, if we're going to be his disciples, then we need to make the first move. I need to make the first move. I need to be willing to go to my brother or my sister and initiate reconciliation. I don't need to come into this building and try to avoid them. I don't need to let bitterness boil over in my heart. I don't need to go and gossip about them to my spouse. I don't need to rehearse to other people all the bad things they've done to me. No, Jesus says that if I'm really going to be his disciple, if I'm really going to follow after him, then I got to deal with my anger head on. I got to get up. And I got to go to my brother or my sister and sit down with them, talk about my problem with them and try to work this out today. I got to seek some peace. I got to get this bitterness out of my heart. I got to seek understanding. I got to seek love. I got to seek reconciliation, even if I sincerely feel that the other person has done me wrong. I have to initiate reconciliation and, and someone says well that sounds too hard to do well my friend whoever said being a disciple was going to be easy whoever said being a disciple was going to be convenient Jesus never said that Jesus never promised that in fact Jesus tells us over and over again in the Bible that being a disciple can be very hard sometimes it, it can be very challenging sometimes it can require us Stripping ourselves of our will and putting his will first, taking up our cross and following him. In regards to this issue, that means that if I have anger towards anybody, if I got anger towards my brother, if I got anger towards my sister, if I got anger towards my spouse, my kids, my parents, I need to deal with that quickly. I need to deal with that today. I need to try to make this right and settle this issue even before attempting to bring any more worship to God. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus says. 
Jesus says, if I'm going to rise above anger, I got to deal with it quickly. And one of the things I'm going to need to deal with it quickly is I'm going to have to get me some humility. I need some humility. Look at Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians again. We read verses 26 and 27, but now we're going to look at verse 31. In verse 31, Paul says that all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ is also forgiving you. I really like these verses here in the word of God. I like them because Paul is telling us that if we're going to overcome problems, struggles, if we're going to overcome anger in our lives, then we got to put off something and we got to put on something. We got to put off something and we got to put on something. We got to put off bitterness. We got to put off wrath. That's your anger. We got to put off the malice and the slander. And we got to replace those things with the characteristics of Jesus Christ. Like Jesus Christ, I got to put on some kindness. I got to be kind. I got to stop being mean. I got to stop being rude. I got to stop being ugly and inconsiderate of other people. I got to make sure I treat other people like I want to be treated. I got to put on some kindness. And I got to put on some tenderheartedness. I got to be tenderhearted. I got to be compassionate. I got to be sympathetic. I got to be gracious. And I also got to be forgiving. I got to be forgiving towards other people because God and his son has forgiven me. Isn't that what Paul said at the end of verse 32? According to Paul, I'm really no different than the people who make me angry sometimes. Like the man who cuts me off on the 202. Or the brother or sister who says something that really gets under my skin or the co-worker who's not the easiest to work with at times. Just like all those people, guess what? I'm also a sinner. I'm also somebody who's been wicked and done just some ungodly things. I'm also someone who has hurt other people at times in my life, and I needed their forgiveness. In fact, the number one person that I've hurt in my life and needed forgiveness from is, is God. I've hurt God. I've sinned against God. And if God did not make the first move to reconcile with me through his son, then guess what? I will be lost. I'll be lost forever. Humility will help me always remember that. Humility will always Help me be willing to make the first move to reconcile with somebody whenever they do me wrong. I'll do that because God did that with me. Humility will help me avoid having a short temper and harboring a grudge. Humility will help me be more patient and merciful with the people I interact with who make mistakes at times when I'm around them in my life. If I'm going to rise above anger, I got to deal with it quickly. And that means I got to get some humility. But then third and finally, I also need to make sure I'm thinking about God. I need to think about God. Go back to Ephesians 4 one more time. This time, look at verse 30. Verse 30. Notice how all our solutions are found right here in Ephesians 4. In verse 30, 
Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How often, how often do you think about that? How often do you think about what Paul is saying there in that verse? How often do you ever stop and consider how your actions, my actions, our actions have a direct impact on God? They have a direct impact on the Holy Spirit. Paul says we grieve the Holy Spirit when we choose to reject the things he's given us in the Bible. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we choose to reject what he has said about the character of Jesus and how we must imitate that character and seek reconciliation and forgiveness. And when we don't practice our fruit of the spirit, which is self-control when it comes to our anger, we grieve the Holy Spirit when we reject the fruits of the spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit whenever we lose control of ourselves and we curse out our spouse. We grieve the Holy Spirit whenever we're full of so much rage that we say ugly things to our parents and to our teachers. We grieve the Holy Spirit whenever we put our Christian life under a basket by making an ugly scene in the restaurant because we're mad the waiter messed up our order. Whenever, or whenever we go to social media to fuss and fight with brethren about trial results and election results, or whenever we try to slander somebody's name because we want to get back at them for doing something that hurt us, none of that stuff, none of that stuff is righteous indignation. None of that stuff is godly anger. None of that stuff is right anger. None of that stuff brings any kind of glory to God. Instead, what it does is it does what Paul talks about in verse number 27. It gives the devil an opportunity. And so that's how we do it. That's how we rise above it. The question is, do you need to do that? Are you guilty this morning? Are you guilty of allowing your anger to get so uncontrolled that it leads you into sin? So then you have an opportunity. You got an opportunity today to repent of that, to repent of that right here and right now, to have us pray with you, pray for you. If there's someone here who may need to begin their journey with Jesus Christ through faith and repentance and baptism at this time, we offer an invitation to anyone here this morning who needs to make things right with God so you don't have to be an enemy of God, but a friend of God. If there's anyone here who needs to respond to the gospel, come to the front. Let's stand. Let's sing.